Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. It's kind of hard to believe, but the Idaho Republican primary is still almost a year away. You couldn't really tell from recent activity. It has been a chaotic couple of weeks in Idaho politics. And to help break it down, I'm joined this week by a repeat guest, a friend of the podcast, Dr. Jacqueline Kettler, a political science professor at Boise State University. We break down the recent events and try to set the stage for what to watch for in these next 11 months. Here's what she had to say. Well, Jackie, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. And, you know, it's hard to know where to begin here with Idaho politics these past couple of weeks, but it feels like the best place to start is with the governor's race and what we saw unfold the past couple of weeks. What was your takeaway out of all of this? Well, it's been really interesting to watch, right? I mean, we've known there's been those divisions for a while between the governor and the lieutenant governor, so not surprising, perhaps, that those have continued to play a role. Um, but especially once we saw McGeehan announce her run, you know, run for governor, we've just had a series of kind of events that have really just highlighted some of the tension and the separation there, which is pretty unique. Um, we've seen in other states splits between the governor and lieutenant governor when they're separately elected like this, but they're usually of different parties, mm-hmm. not of the same party. Right. I was going to ask about that, just the basic civics that we have these separately elected governor and lieutenant governor. In this case, we've got you know two elected officials from the same party. This is really unusual to see this kind of hand-to-hand combat between the, the top two executive officers in the state government. For sure, yeah. I mean, you know, in a good chunk of states, you don't even have the separately elected positions. There are a few tickets, so you really don't see the lieutenant governor kind of go a separate direction than the governor in those states. But even in states with separately elected governor and lieutenant governor positions, it's just really rare to see this sort of open, you know, dis- kind of disagreements and from the lieutenant governor, like con- kind of conflicts, right? And like mm-hmm. conflicting. And then when a little left the state, issuing the executive order. Um, so yeah, it's definitely interesting to kind of watch out and to further see some of the divisions within the Republican Party play out in, in this situation. And this isn't really a who won and who lost kind of a question, because that's kind of in the eye of the beholder anyway. But there's risk here for both of these officials. I mean, if if Governor Little overplays his hand, he's apt to come across as arrogant or defensive. And if Lieutenant Governor McGinn overplays her hand, either in this episode or future episodes, uh, she could come across as grandstanding or obstructionist. So talk about that. I mean, there's, you know, this is a high risk game for both, both of them. For sure. And I mean, one big question was what would Little's response be, right? right because right. that was kind of a difficult situation as well, like because in terms of issue positions and response, but you also don't want to look weak. And so there was several, I mean, that was one first challenging step of how does Little even respond to it? Right. I mean, I think we all were kind of watching for those 24 hours. And I know a lot of folks were on Twitter speculating about, does he come out strong? Does he let it go? I mean, you know, he was put in a box right away here. For sure. And I think he kind of walked a line well, right? And that taking kind of swift action, rescinding it, but also highlighting some of those key kind of core conservative values, perhaps, in that response and his arguments for it and attacking the politics of it, which is kind of an interesting approach, right? Just saying, oh, this is a political stunt, basically. And mm-hmm. that I, you know, that's we don't want to play. We don't we don't want to play that sort of politics with important issues or policies. Right, right. And. In this whole policy debate, really, 
predated what we saw happen with Lieutenant Governor Mickey. I mean, we're coming out of this longest legislative session in state history, and one of the reasons it was such a long session and lawmakers were around until May 12th was a debate over emergency powers and the governor's emergency powers. Did the legislature kind of lay the groundwork for Lieutenant Governor McGee and whether they intended to or not? That's an, I think that's an interesting question, and I think you could definitely kind of make that argument, right? Although, I mean, she was making some of these, I mean, she was starting to say some of these same similar kind of positions last year, or last year, right, in the summer, some of the disagreements with Little. But, yeah, I think setting up that the rhetoric or the, just the focus on whether or not the governor had overstepped or went too far, right, too expanded power too much. And so now you kind of put, you know, you change the, you know, the agenda, the policy discussion to really focus in through that lens on the debate. And this isn't just a race between Little and Nicky, and there are other candidates in the race. Ammon Bundy is expected to announce he's already uh, appointed a treasurer. The Idaho Republican Party has distanced itself from Ammon Bundy, but they can't really stop him from filing as a Republican. Yeah, I mean, that's that's always a challenging thing for parties a little bit, right? Because you don't have con- complete control over who can try to run on your party ticket. And there are instances where parties will, you know, explicitly denounce or even request that a candidate, like, pull out or not run. But they really, at the end of the day, don't have a ton of control <laughs> over that. So uh, you often will, you'll get these types of statements like what Tom Luna, as executive director of the Republican Party, Idaho Republican Party, did last week, kind of denouncing Bundy as run, you know, running as a Republican. And assuming Bundy stays in the race, files as a Republican, runs in the Republican primary, I mean, the conventional wisdom is that he and McGeehan may be going for the same block of votes, and that might favor little in that kind of a primary. Exactly, yeah. I think that's why it's so interesting to see what these fields of can- what the field of candidates will eventually look like. Um, if that's how it plays out, then it seems like they, that, yeah, McGeehan and Bundy will can be competing for some of the same voters. Um, however, if we have some more candidates, especially higher, you know, higher profile candidates enter, then things might start to look a little different again. And so it's definitely, you know, it's, it's interesting to start speculating, but without knowing what the full field of candidates looks like, it's a little hard to really know what those vote shares or splits might look like. And while we have McGeehan running for lieutenant governor, the race to replace her has heated up as well. Uh, with a lot of those same kind of splits within the Republican Party with, with Scott Becky and Priscilla Giddings and Luke Malik. What's your takeaway at this point in that race? Yeah, I think, I mean, there, Giddings is kind of the farther right candidate, and so perhaps Malik and Bedke would be competing more over kind of the traditional Republican base. Um, you know, it seems like maybe Bedke's a little bit more, you know, more of the kind of traditional conservative. Um, Malik may be, you know, trying to position a little bit more moderate on some policies, though, you know, it's really pretty early yet uh, to see how those candidates, Bedke and Malik, might really kind of situate themselves what issues choose what policies they might really focus on. Bedke so far really highlighted his experience, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of been his focus so far. And it really felt, and I've written about this, uh, observing his announcement and demonstrators showing up, supporting Giddings and and, standing with signs, uh, blasting Bedke. I mean, you really saw the split within the Republican Party 
in very stark terms. Exactly, yeah. And I mean, and interesting, it looks like there will be an ethics investigation into Representative Giddings. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, whether that has any role in this primary or whether that's the sort of thing that isn't really going to kind of you know, have an effect, particularly perhaps for some of the farther right candidates who might be a little bit more anti-establishment anyways, right? And almost kind of view that sort of thing as, well, not, you know, maybe that's a sign I'm doing something right type of framing for it. Let's talk about that ethics investigation and maybe um, how an ethics investigation of that magnitude plays out in this political realm. I mean, you know, Representative Giddings has already suggested that the ethics investigation is politically driven. You know, we've seen these, these are difficult processes for lawmakers to wrestle with under the best of circumstances. Right. I think the, you know, it can be, they can play out in a few different ways, but even when there's a lot of evidence or depending on what the concern is, uh, you know, it often, well, I mean, here I'm also like, we still don't have a lot of information yet about the ethics investigation, at least last I saw. So I'm still a little unsure of what exactly it might be looking like. It's it's from with like the legislature, right? Mm -hmm. That's driving it. So when she's also leaving to run for the lieutenant governor's race, right? Like I, you know, what the the consequences might be. Um, I think I, I'm kind of interested to see. I, I don't know enough yet to really know about that. And on top of all of that, regardless of how that unfolds, you've got a 2022 session where you have a sitting Speaker of the House representing a very divided Republican caucus as it is, and you have a Representative Giddings who is a, a champion of that conservative faction within that Republican caucus. I mean, it could become a very nasty legislative session as lawmakers position themselves to support the candidate of their choice in that race. For sure. I think, I mean, primary elections sometimes are also, it can be, there can be personal in some ways, but also like, yeah, you're playing within the divisions, you know, it's within the party. And so that can be really tense. And here, yeah, you have the speaker versus someone who's been involved in, yeah, a a group of legislators that have obstructed the actions of the chamber at times. And so you already have some of that conflict in the history working its way up to now a primary race for statewide office. And do personalities sometimes uh, become more uh, of a factor in races like a lieutenant governor's race where, let's face it, there isn't as much of a policy debate. I mean, the lieutenant governor does whatever he or she is allowed to do uh, by the sitting governor and, you know, presides over the Senate. I mean, there's a whole lot of, you know, constitutional duty to the job. So it becomes more of a race about personalities, maybe. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point in that um, for how voters might make decisions in that type of race when it is a, a very different position than the governor or the attorney general, someone that you're like, okay, I can kind of understand how their agenda, what that would look like, how they get enact that. The lieutenant governor is a little harder as, as for all the reasons you just mentioned. And so, yeah, you could see the debates perhaps focus more on personality, experience, um, those types of things, maybe how much they'd work overall to help, uh, you know, uh, what agendas they might be trying to help enact or those types of things. So, yeah, I think it'll be, you know, I think the lieutenant governor's race in 2018 didn't receive a ton of attention. 
it kind of got overshadowed by a competitive gubernatorial primary for Republicans. And so, you know, I think that we, I think it'll be in, really interesting to watch the race this time with perhaps uh, more, even more attention, uh, you know, kind of paid to it. Yeah, I mean, definitely 2018, the primaries, the, the governor's primaries, both of them, the, the Republican and the Democratic primary, I think overshadowed what turned out to be really crowded and really split vote in the lieutenant governor's race. Exactly. And so, I mean, they had they had a good number of candidates that ran. And so I think that made it harder for some of the candidates to kind of get a broader base to emerge, right? And so uh, if, if it ends up being a like a three-way race between Malik, Bedke, and Giddings, that's, it's, 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 it'll be interesting to see kind of, you know, how things kind of play out there. But you'd expect Giddings to have a little easier time kind of gathering up her, her base a little bit to, to mobilize. And the other thing we've seen in the past, uh, you know, start especially starting with the pandemic is, you know, some of the kind of farther right activists are, are so active. They show up like getting supporters showing up at Becky's announcement, right? They are present. And so it'll be interesting to kind of watch that sort of public engagement play out along with the primary races. No, that's a really interesting point. I want to maybe have you elaborate a little bit more about has the pandemic affected political engagement, political activism? You're seeing signs that it already is. Yeah, I think in 2020 we saw huge amounts of public political activism from you know several different sorts of populations we saw some of the protest against you know you know restrictions like whether it be mask mandates or stay-at-home orders but then in reaction to we saw a lot of black lives matter you know activism and protests and demonstrations as well so in general it seemed like there was a good amount of the public really engaged whether they were in, you know participating in demonstrations or just really engaged and paying attention to politics and we saw really high turnout last year in our elections, which I think also helps demonstrate the the concern and the engagement of our population in politics. Another unusual variable in this election as it's unfolding is you have Lieutenant Governor McGeehan and Representative Giddings, they're, they're co-chairing this task force on school indoctrination. It's a national issue that has uh, also attracted attention in Idaho. This is an unusual dynamic itself to have a lieutenant governor and a lieutenant governor's candidate trying to seize the narrative by putting together a task force that we'll meet now over the next several months. Definitely. It'll be, I mean, we've already, we've seen one meeting of the task force so far, but how that can kind of, how that continues to develop will be interesting to watch. You know, education ended up being, playing some of a role in 2018 where Brad Little made public education a pretty big part of his, his race, especially for the general election and got support from the Idaho Education Association. So I think now it looks like education might play another, play a big role again, but from a very different sort of focus rather than investing in public education focusing on the critical race theory on these other kind of elements which will be interesting to watch and, and see whether or not a broad population of Idahoans are as concerned about those as they are in like funding education. What about the state superintendent's race? I mean right now it's beginning to take shape 
But we have a, a big question mark right now about the incumbent and her plans. Well, we actually have that with the governor as well, right? Little actually hasn't officially announced but quite he's yet. A right? Lot yeah, yeah, more for and, sure, for sure. He, I think he told a reporter that don't you won't yeah, be surprised. So, exactly. so uh, we kind of know yeah, without really knowing. We, we kind of know. <laughs> Superintendent Ibarra has been very circumspect about what her plans are. Yeah, and so yes, I think that what that race will look like really depends on whether or not Ibarra is running for re-election, and if she is, that's going to you know I think that. It you know it's it's pretty it can be challenging to beat the incumbent <laughs> um, when they're running for re-election. It's you know it happens in primary elections, but it can be challenging. So she definitely would have an advantage, though. Uh, as so many people again going back to this idea of there's been a lot of focus on education over the last year in terms of people whose children weren't you know children not you know not so in many places not being able to attend in person or questions about all those sorts of things. So. I think, you know, and now we have the the task force and these other debates about education. So the issues that st- that play a role or, you know, that that really become a major focus in that race will be really interesting to to watch. Starting with that race, the superintendent's race, and maybe expanding out more, Democrats have been very quiet in terms of candidates. Uh, they have made no campaign announcements uh, at all to speak of as a party. And starting the state superintendent, I mean, on paper, this is the most winnable race for Democrats. They've come closest to, to winning this one in past election cycles. Are you, are you surprised right now at uh, the relative quiet uh, silence from the Democratic Party? Yeah, it is a little surprising. There are some advantages to getting in earlier, right? You can start fundraising earlier. You start getting attention, getting some name recognition, um, especially if you want. It may kind of dissuade others from entering the primary race, depending on you know how you know the how those dynamics play out. So there can be some advantages to entering early. It's possible at this point that. The party is, you know, they're trying to kind of strategize and hold back a little bit to let Republicans kind of fight within themselves for a while. But, yeah, you'd, you'd expect to start to see some announcements soon just so that they can start, you know, getting that campaign operations in place and those types of things. What else do you expect to see maybe change the narrative in the next few months? I mean, we have a house that is... In recess, they're not really adjourned. They could come back, although Speaker Bedke has suggested that that's not too likely. We've talked about the task force. You have interim committees. All of that can change the dialogue and change the narrative. Well, I think 2020 demonstrated how we it's so hard to predict, right? So I, we wouldn't have expected last year so much of the year to be really focused on pandemic and pandemic responses. One thing, I mean, we're still in the process. I mean, we haven't done redistricting yet mm-hmm. in Idaho. So for the legislature, that's, there's going to be some big questions there on how those districts are drawn and what they look like. And, and so for some incumbents, whether or not they'll run for re-election might hinge on what their district might look like those types of things running against they may be uh, thrown into a race against each other exactly so i think that's that's still something we have yet to kind of know how that's going to affect things moving into the election um you know i think i I expect that a lot of these education issues are going to continue to be a pretty big focus but you know depending on 
what happens at the national level, that could be playing a role some, especially as we get near to a general election as opposed to primary election. In a lot of states, the thought is for the Republican primary races in some states that there's going to be strong divisions between those that really supported Trump and those didn't. I don't know that that's going to be the big factor kind of in Idaho, right, playing a role in some of these primary races, since most were pretty supportive. And so it's a little so that dynamic in Idaho might be a little bit different than in some other states where, um, you know, we're maybe it may have also focused a lot on disagreements, continued disagreements about responses to the pandemic. How much of this election will be a referendum on the pandemic? I mean, you talk about the activism and the engagement that it's uh, brought about. Is this really going to be a pandemic election no matter what happens uh, with the pandemic? I mean, I think there are still some people really upset about the how how the state and and other responses you know responses happened to the pandemic whether it was the governor or local election you know local level whatever i think there are people concerned that there was it was still too much and that it was it's still that the effects of that's harming them there i think there are people that are still upset that the state and local governments didn't do more and so i think that there's still concern there and some of that i think is connected to while our economy's been you know, good here in Idaho. Um, you know, that doesn't mean everyone's personally doing well. And I think some people are still connecting some of their, you know, their financial concerns or things to the pandemic. And yeah, I think that there's, I think that we're going to continue to feel some after effects of the pandemic for a while. And a lot of economic issues that are real, you know, bottom line issues for people that could affect the way they vote. The, the housing situation in the Treasure Valley the labor shortage, uh, those are issues that resonate with people. For sure. Like that's, you know, there's definitely how the economy, you know, the broad economy in general can have an effect. So thinking about looking at things like unemployment, but people's personal kind of like pocketbook, right? Like that also can matter. And if you're unhappy and you continue to be unhappy, well, that might lead to a situation where incumbents might be a little bit more at risk than they would usually be. So one last question. I mean, you do a lot of your research in campaign finance. I mean, that's your, your stock and trade as a, as, a, as a professor. As you watch these reports, as we watch those reports, what should we be keeping a close eye on? Yeah, I think here, especially early in the primary um, season or race, you know, it's interesting to see who are some of those early donors to candidates. And we know that those early donations can serve as signals to other donors as well to like, oh, they're worth investing in or, oh, we're going to kind of go this direction or align with this person. So kind of seeing the types of, you know, a, a business associations or interests as well as you know major individual donors right. like who they're supporting who they're putting their money behind early can be kind of an interesting signal and in like how how split you know who might be supporting w- what type of candidate but then also for like a race where you don't have an incumbent who's viewed as a quality or a like you know candidates likely to succeed a lot to catch up on, and I'm sure we'll want to do this again as we get closer to the primary and the general election. Jackie, thank you for being here. Oh, always happy to join you. Again, that was Dr. Jacqueline Kettler, a political science professor at Boise State University. Here at Idaho Education News, we are gearing up to cover the 2022 elections with an eye towards races that will affect K-12 and higher ed. I'll be the lead reporter on the gubernatorial race. Sammy Edge will be the lead reporter on the state superintendent's race. 
and we'll cover other state races and key legislative races. If you have story ideas or suggestions, please pass them on to us. And please check in with us uh, over the course of the week. We'll be continuing to cover education policy and education politics as it unfolds, even in the middle of the summer. Check us out at idahoednews.org for the latest stories. Follow us on Twitter at idahoednews for breaking news and tweets. Follow us at Facebook and join the conversation there. And check back next Friday for another edition of this podcast. Until then, this is Kevin Richard. Stay safe and have a good week. Bye.